You are listening to the Actor Aesthetic Podcast, episode 194. Oh, no. My worst audition ever, literally, and what I learned from it. Let's get started. What's up, everyone? My name is Maggie Barra. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Actor Aesthetic Podcast, where I take you behind the scenes of the theater industry. The Actor Aesthetic Podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at actoraesthetic.com slash podcast. You can also follow me for more on social media at Actor Aesthetic or my personal account at Maggie Barra. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get on to the show. I figured it's spooky season. Why don't we talk about some things that keep us up at night? Some spooky ghost stories. (laughs) I said in the episode title that this is going to be about my worst audition ever. Um... But I actually have two stories I want to share with you, and maybe even three if you get to the end and I'm still talking and I think of more awful, awful things that keep me up at night <laughs> that either I've done or or that have gone wrong in auditions. Because I think what's so fun about auditions is that, you know, sometimes it's fun, sometimes it's terrifying, is that, like, anything can happen, right? Like... You can go to an audition and they'll have you prepare 20 different sides. And if you're new to the, the episode or to the industry, sides are just like the the pieces of dialogue that you might have to read for your audition or um, the sheets of music that you need to learn for your audition. So they'll give you like 20 things to learn. And <laughs> this has happened to me a lot where, you know, they'll give you a million sides to learn and then you walk into the audition room and they have you do two and they say, thank you so much. Or even like one, they'll have you do one page of one side and then call it a day. Usually that's, that's just to see, you know, those, those first like few auditions, the first round of auditions is always just to gauge whether or not you're right for the role. And, and if they need to see you more, if they call you back for more, then they'll, they'll dive a little bit deeper into whether or not you're, you're, you have the right skill set for the role, or if you fit in the, in the show, in the world of the show against other people in the show. If I say show one more time, I'm going to throw my phone against the wall. I'm so sorry, y'all. What I'm getting at is that today I'm going to talk to you about some of the worst auditions of my life. And they stem from either not being prepared enough, even though I thought I was prepared, not being prepared enough, which we'll talk about deeper. And then secondly, not being secure with myself, trying to be something that I absolutely was not. And then in turn, it really backfiring and and it, it's all very embarrassing. And so we're going to talk about them. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. which am I going to tell you about first? So gather around the campfire. I grew up really close to the city. Not like I wasn't a city kid. Certainly wasn't a city kid. I'm a Jersey girl. But I grew up close enough where when I did eventually get an agent, I was able to go in and out of the city 
and auditioned for a couple different things. My agents were awesome. I was getting, um, you know, a ton of appointments for commercial and TV and film. And I remember my sister, who was younger, was getting auditions for a lot of Broadway shows that were coming up. You know, the like... Mary Poppins of the world. There were uh, there was Matilda and Billy Elliot. Those shows and uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You know those things were really popping up, left and right. And they were looking for kids. So where she was doing stage stuff, I was doing more TV and film. Now I really should give myself some credit because I didn't grow up any sort of Broadway baby. I didn't really take a lot of classes in TV and film. I I barely did. Um, if anything, you know, I studied over the summers at Paper Mills Summer Musical Theater Conservatory, which was really big in honing who I was as an artist, as an individual, as a learner. But I definitely didn't have a, a strong background in the TV and film world, more so, if anything, in theater. And I don't really know how much you could teach a kid when they're 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. You could teach them, but they're not going to retain a lot. It's going to take them a couple years. You know, their brains are also developing too, and they're getting more comfortable with themselves. And it takes time. It's not something that, you know, kids aren't going to be able to pick something up overnight, at least the average kid. So when I tell you I was auditioning for film and TV and commercials, I had literally no idea what I was doing. Like I, with kids, you give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, they're not going to be as trained as Meryl Streep is at 30, but they're, they're sponges, they're malleable, they're willing to learn. So you give them the benefit of the doubt. But when I'm telling you I was winging it, I was winging it. I didn't know how to do my hair. I didn't really know how to dress. I certainly didn't really know how to do my makeup. I probably looked either really, really shiny on camera or completely washed out. And when you're auditioning for specifically commercials, it's a really quick process. So you're not really getting any sort of depth from the directors or the casting director. They're not usually giving you a lot of notes. They're not really talking to you a whole lot. You have to read your lines or act out the scenario and then you're off. Like it, it usually will take you, it, it's longer to wait around than the actual audition itself. Well, when I was like 13 or 14 years old, I went to a commercial audition. My agent sent me in on a commercial audition and I might have actually gone with my sister who was nine or 10 at the time. So the commercial audition was for Nintendo DS, I want to say. And even though I loved Nintendo and I had played it a ton growing up, like I was well past that point at the age that I was at. I had no interest being at this audition because I was far, like I was, I was so much older looking. I was so much taller, so much more mature looking. And my, my, my weakness at that time was I couldn't play younger because I looked, you know, 17. That's why I was going in for all the commercial auditions and not for a theater because <laughs> there are a bunch of 18 year olds walking in and playing 14 and I couldn't play 14 because I didn't look 14. So I walk into this audition already feeling like, oh, God, I have to act younger. Like, I remember putting my hair in a in a headband, pushing my hair back and not really doing my makeup. Not that I knew what I was doing anyway. And I walk in and I, I meet the casting directors and they sit me down. And I want to say that for this audition, they just had me reenact a scenario and those types of auditions are really difficult for 
commercials because they're basically just like improv exercises. You're not really given any sort of lines to read. They're just asking you to recreate a scenario where you're playing Nintendo DS and you win the game or you lose the game or you're you're playing with your sister or your friend or you're yelling at your mom, like those kinds of things. And there, if you if you think about it, there are a lot of commercials where you see the person, but they're not speaking. You see a person doing something. You see a person doing a cartwheel, but they're not the one speaking. Sometimes it's a narrator or sometimes there's music playing or maybe it's just like B-roll. Well, I had to do something like that. And I already was like, I looked probably fine in the grand scheme of things. But then here's where it got really, really awkward. So I think the audition is over with. And I'm ready to head out because I'm feeling like, whatever, this is, you know, a one in a million shot. Every audition I went to, there were a million people there. And I was just getting numb to the idea of whether or not I was going to book the job, which is hilarious because I was 14. <laughs> I was already numb, you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm gathering my stuff. I'm getting ready to go. And the casting director stops me and says, Maggie, we'd love to just chat with you for a second. So tell us, you know, tell us what's your favorite movie? Okay. Sidebar, guys. If someone asks you anything at an audition, take it as a huge win. Because there are so many auditions out there where you will walk in and do your material and leave and never hear back again. So if someone talks to you at an audition, you're already winning. Okay. But sadly, I wanted to get out of there so fast. I don't know why something came over me and I started to feel really insecure. And it takes me back to at the beginning of this story when I told you that I felt really out of place at this audition. I felt like I was too old. I felt like I looked too tall or too mature. And there were so many little kids there and I didn't deserve to be there. I literally told myself a 14, at 14 years old, I told myself I shouldn't be at this audition. Let me tell you something else. When you get an agent appointment or just a general appointment for an audition, there is a reason why you have been given that audition. And it could be anything. Maybe the casting director has a good relationship with your agents. Maybe the creative team saw something in your video audition that you sent in and they want to see it in person, or they saw something about you on your resume. Commercial auditions are very typical, like they want to see what you look like, and you might have the correct look for what they want to do, maybe the right essence for what they want to do on film, and so they call you in. There's a reason. They're not just mass calling people in because that would be a waste of everyone's time. Getting the audition already is a huge win. So not only that, I got the audition and then the casting team starts to talk to me. But for some reason, I still was telling myself I did not deserve to be there and I wanted to leave as soon as possible to get home. They ask me what my favorite movie is. And of course, of course, in the back of my mind, I'm saying I should act younger, I should act younger, I should look younger. And so I'm starting to think of really quickly, I'm starting to think of movies that, you know, maybe a younger person would like, maybe, maybe a tween would like. Now I was 14, so I was cool, right? I was a freshman in high school, so I, I you know, was too mature, blah, 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 blah. But for some godforsaken reason, I said, The Notebook. 
Had I ever seen the notebook before? No. Does it matter that I had never seen the notebook? Not really. But in that moment it did. Because then they said to me, Oh my god, cool. What's your favorite scene in the notebook? And I said, Actually, I've never seen it before. And they said, Oh my god, okay, thank you so much for coming in. And they promptly escorted me out of the room. I'm not even being dramatic. Like, this is exactly what happened. And it was so awkward and so embarrassing. And so what I'm getting at, even though I was 14, I learned right then and there, right then, right there, do not lie at an audition because you will be found out eventually. And I know like lying about a movie is not that important or lying about things you like are not that important. But what is important is two things. One, a creative team, if they're lied to, to something like small like that, right? is going to be kind of off-put by that. Like, that, it's just like a weird thing. When you have so many people auditioning for a small role in a commercial, like, why would you choose the girl <laughs> that freaking lied to you straight up? Okay? And again, like, I'll give myself some grace. There wasn't a whole lot of, like, background here. I didn't have a whole lot of, of uh, knowledge into the world of commercial auditions and not many people did that were also auditioning with me unless they had been doing it since they were two. But it's just weird, right? It's just weird. And there's really no excuse when you get older to lie because then it's seen as severely off-putting and also you will be found out. For example, if you lie on your resume and you say you're a certain height or you can sing to a certain note or you played a certain role that you definitely didn't play, or you worked with a director that you definitely didn't work with. All of that stuff seems like small, right? But casting directors notice that. And not only that, but they'll notice it and they'll ask you about it. Even if they don't notice it at the beginning, they're going to find out because they'll ask you about it. If you say, I can do impressions of Patti LuPone, that's cool and fun. It might seem kind of fun on your resume. But then you better hope that you can do it in person because someone might see it, especially if you're auditioning for a comedy. And they're going to say, oh, my God, can you do it for us right now? And if you can't do it, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. You're done. Because <laughs> then it's so awkward and it looks so bad. And why put yourself in that situation? Just don't lie. Just don't lie about your height. Just don't lie about the, the top note in your, in your register. It's just not worth it. It's not worth the humiliation. And it's not worth, you know, risking your character. And even though it wasn't the end-all be-all at 14, I definitely felt my face getting super red. And I felt like, all right, that's enough for me. Never going to lie. Never going to try to be something else because it's way easier and freer just to be myself. The second story that I wanted to share with you happened right after I graduated college, and it's a cautionary tale in preparation. So a little bit of backstory. I went to school at Texas State University. I graduated. I did a show, and then I moved back home with my family for a few months at the time, and I commuted in and out of the city. 
I lived in central New Jersey, and I commuted early mornings with my dad. He drove to his office on the west side of Manhattan, and I made my way over to 42nd Street, and then eventually to Pearl Studios and Ripley Greer and the Actors' Equity Building. Any audition I could find, any agent appointment I could get, any open call, I would be there. Well, I eventually got an audition appointment on my own, and it was for a cruise ship contract. The show was, it was new. It was a really good hybrid of a book musical, which is, you know, a musical that's typical, something like like Hairspray or, or Grease, where there's an actual script that goes with it. And then also the shows on ships that you'll see where people predominantly are just singing pop songs and and rock songs and whatever. The show itself was based off of a really popular movie that I had to watch beforehand because, of course, I was so clueless. And this is a really famous movie, really, really famous movie. And I had never seen it before, which is outlandish. It's outlandish. But I watched it. Thank God. But when I got out of college, I guess I never really fully understood how nervous I was going to be at auditions in the real world. Like, I think, I think it was new for me because even though I grew up auditioning, when you graduate and you're no longer going to school, it feels different. Like, it starts to feel more real things way more and even though I had the incredible opportunity to live with my parents and I was very grateful for that you know I wasn't paying rent or having to work a a side job at the moment it still weighed on me like you know wanting to get a job and, and proving to my family and my friends that I could do this so auditions became more important to me and and this is that's a cautionary tale because I I want you all to realize that At the end of the day, there's a lot of stuff that you can't control in the industry. You cannot control whether or not you're going to get the job. You cannot control who else is auditioning for the job or how people perceive you, if people like you, or if they don't like you. But you can be a good person. You can stay true to who you are. And you can prepare the shit out of the material that you have to do in that audition room. But here's where I failed at that. I did not foresee how difficult it would be for me to retain material when I'm nervous. And it gets better over time. You certainly get more used to the environment, at least. But I was still so fresh and so new. And... I remember walking to the audition and actually feeling like I was prepared and ready to go. But I made a huge mistake and it was to not hold the material in my hands. And I don't know why I did this, to be honest, because I was I was always taught at school to at least at your first round of auditions to hold the material in your hands for two reasons. One even if you're memorized, to just have it there so that you have it just in case you go up on a line or a lyric. And the other reason is to remind the people behind the table subconsciously that you are still in audition mode. You're not actually performing the role for them right now. Like you haven't rehearsed with them. 
you haven't read their minds and known exactly what they needed or talked with them about the role. Like you're walking in totally blind. And so having the material in your hand subconsciously reminds them of that, or at least you try to subconsciously remind them of that. Well, that was mistake number one. Didn't hold the material in my hands. So I put all of my stuff on the piano. I put my song on the piano. I put my dialogue on the piano. And this was one of those auditions too, where you are given 20 pages of material to learn. And sometimes they only ask you to do like two pages of it. Mistake number two was going on a little known site called Audition Update, which now exists as a forum, an anonymous forum on Backstage. But at the time it existed as Audition Update, and it was a place where you could anonymously tip others on how auditions were going, especially in New York City, if they were running ahead, behind, if you know, at open calls, how quickly they were getting through the list at equity auditions. If they were seeing non-equity people, how quickly were they were getting through the equity alternate list? Like all these little things you could tell people anonymously if you if you so pleased on this site. And one of the things that people were writing about this particular audition was that the people behind the table were only asking for a particular part of the sides that they were given. So they only asked for like this one song and this one side and that's it, even though they had given you like three sides and like two songs. And then they also asked you to come in prepared with another song from your book. So I took that and said to myself, which is a huge, huge, huge mistake. Let me just fully prep these things that these people are saying they're doing in the room. So I really only looked over that one song and that one piece of dialogue that others were saying they were doing in the audition room. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But I think, you know, it is it is overwhelming when you're first coming to New York and you're having to prep a whole lot of material and and you don't really know like what works and what doesn't work for you. So I was just going in knowing, all right, I'm I'm already not super great at memorization. It takes me a little bit longer, which is okay. But I, I guess I just didn't really put in the effort to know it as well as I should have. Because when I walked into the audition room and I put that material down, when I had to sing that first song, like it just escaped me. Like I got to the chorus and I couldn't remember a lyric. And, and it's frustrating because in those moments you're told either to keep pushing through or to politely ask if you can stop and and go back to the beginning. But what ended up happening was I stopped and asked to go back to the beginning, which is totally fine, but then I couldn't remember the lyrics like for the life of me. And so at one point I had to pick up the music and and read it and then I felt so embarrassed and I was like reading it basically off the page. I I barely looked up and and I was really frustrated with myself because I felt like oh I have I have the song prepped and I'm going to do it this way and this is going to go as planned. And that's just not the case and so that already was was not my best. But then where I really failed at least for myself I felt myself because by the time I got to the dialogue, again, it was another moment of everything just kind of went out the door. Uh, and if you've ever been in a situation where you forget what comes next, if you're if you're doing a presentation in class and you forget what you're supposed to talk to next, or if you're in a, in a serious meeting and you forget what you wanted to say, it's it's frustrating. And then 
it, it becomes really overwhelming because then you feel like that's all you can think about. So not only was I thinking about that song, but by the time I got to the the, the dialogue, I th- it, it was as if I had never acted before. It was as if I was brand new to this. Um, I felt like I, I wasn't committed. I wasn't in it. I, I was on autopilot. I had to have the material in my hands, so I was pausing and making awkward sentences. It just, it, it was just all wrong. It was all wrong. And by the time I was done with that, I said, thank you so much. And I left, and I definitely cried on, on the way back to my dad's office. And no, I didn't get a call back, and no, I didn't book the job. And, and not only that, but, you know, this is a really big casting director at the time and now. And I thought to myself, this is my first chance to really make an impression on a big-time casting director in the city, and I blew it. And what I'll say to you is this. Because a situation like this might happen to you, and it happens to a lot of us. There will be weird auditions. You will have moments where you wish things went a certain way, but they didn't. You'll have moments where you really want to book the job, but you just didn't. And you think of all the things you would have done to prove to them that you were worth it, to prove to them to take a chance on you. But if you learn anything from this episode, it's that, number one, be yourself. Be yourself, know your worth, know your value. And number two, humble yourself when you go to these auditions and really get down to the basics. I'm talking, when you walk into that audition room, you better know that material backwards and forwards. Even if you think that things shouldn't be memorized, you should know the material well enough that you can make informed decisions about your character and the dialogue on a dime. If the director has a note for you and asks you to make a change to your delivery of the character, then all of that work is going to go out the door if you don't know your lines, if you don't know what you should have prepared for this audition. So humble yourselves and know that there are so many people out there who want the same job as you, and they're going to do whatever it takes to know that material backwards and forwards so it puts them in the best possible situation. You cannot control getting cast, but you can control your attitude and your preparation. If you have an audition horror story like this that you learned a bunch from that you'd like to share with me or on the podcast even, feel free to shoot me a DM at Actor Aesthetic on Instagram. I'd love to hear it and I'd love to talk about it. And if you learned something big from it, let's chat. I love you all. It takes a village. I will see you next week.